0: It's Carla-Marie Sweets here, and you're listening to The Playmakers Podcast, a new podcast by Box of Tricks Theatre Company that's all about platforming creative conversations with theatre makers from all parts of the industry. This season, I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to talk all things theatre with producers, directors, writers and actors, exploring what makes them tick, what inspires and frustrates them, and of course, what brought them to theatre in the first place. If you're joining us for the first time now, make sure you go back and listen to all the great conversations we've had so far. This episode is a Playbox special. For those of you that don't know, Playbox is a year-long writer on attachment programme offering bespoke residencies to four early career Northwest playwrights and the opportunity to write a new play with the support of Box of Tricks. This year, our four playwrights are Safina Aziz, Mohamed Barber, Lakhani Cherwa and Adam James. So the original plan was that you'd get to listen to four short conversations with this year's Playboxes in this episode. So it was going to be the final episode of the season. However, I then went off and recorded those conversations and they were just too brilliant to cut down. So I decided to split them into two episodes instead. So in part one this episode you'll be hearing from Safina and Adam and in our final final episode part two of the Playboxer special you'll hear from Lakhani and Mohammed. I'm so excited to be bringing you these conversations. So we'll start with Safina. Safina is an alumnus of the Liverpool Everyman Theatre Playwrights Programme and the BBC Writers Room Right Across Liverpool initiative. Her writing, creativity and consultancy skills have been used by BBC Television and Radio, the Victoria and Albert Museum, Southbank Royal Festival Hall, British Council, Tate Liverpool, Tamasha and Eclipse Theatre Company. She's a really interesting person and if you're a playwright or somebody who's always wanted to start writing, who's maybe 40 plus, this is the conversation for you. As with all episodes of the Playmakers podcast, this conversation is pretty raw, uncut and unfiltered. So you may hear the odd swear word that hasn't been beat and some discussions around sensitive topics. So the first question I'm going to ask you is a question that I've asked pretty much everyone who's been on the podcast so far. And that question is, why theatre? Of all the mediums you could choose to work
1: in, Why theatre? Theatre has an intimacy, I think, um, that is missing from other art forms. Um, It was really interesting, actually. I went to see... Don't judge me. You might not judge me anyway. I went to see Barbie yesterday, right? I'm going to say, why do you think I'm wearing pink, (laughs) Safina? It's not not true pink, Carla. Come on, girl. (laughs) Um, So... uh, and what was really lovely about it was that at the very end, a group of young women behind me just kind of went, yes, and started clapping. And it's so rare that that happens in cinema, but it's not rare in theatre. And I realised how much I loved it. And then at the bus stop, there was a young girl who was talking about... um, just having watched the film and some bits that she didn't enjoy and did enjoy, I'm not going to give any spoilers. So I said to her, oh, are you talking about Barbie? And she said, yeah. And she goes, but I loved like when we were like being all together with all of those people, and like we all started clapping at the end. And I just thought, actually, that was what was lovely. And that's what theatre gives you, I think. I think it gives a, a collective response, emotional mm. response to a piece of work that's really yeah. immediate that you don't really get, I don't think, from any other really? art form
0: and and i think less and less with tv i mean i i'm so passionate about television but i think yeah, the way that tv lands with the public these days in terms of having streaming services and bingeable you know seasons of shows it often means that everybody is in a completely different place with that show and so you're having kind of very tricky sort of water cooler conversations these days where it's like oh have you seen the latest episode of succession and that person's still in season two and you're like yes. oh, oh I really want you to watch it so that we can talk about it whereas you know 20 years ago we would have all been watching it at the same time because it would have come out week by week and that's not yeah. to say I don't love that bingeable thing but yeah you're right that shared experience and that immediate
1: react reaction to something is so lovely isn't it? Yeah, and I also think on a really pragmatic level as well, I think if you're um, an emerging writer, I think your local theatre is the place to go and mm-hmm. and hopefully there will be opportunities for you to get your work heard in a way that you can't just rock up to a television company and say, can you read my script? And I think especially with, hopefully with some of the participation and some uh, teams and literary teams and theatres, that there is an opportunity to talk to somebody about your work. In so I think that there's a there's an availability to theatre as well that is a really practical one. So you know, any aspiring writer, I think if they've got a theatre close by, you can say to them, just go and see who works there and see if you can talk to them and grab them for a cup of coffee. So I think it's got an accessibility to it as well. What was your
0: local theatre growing up then? And and did you have that experience of sort of accessibility
1: through it? Well, really interestingly, um, Coming from a working class background as well, my we didn't go to theatre, and you know my parents aren't from aren't from England either, um, uh, you know from India and Guyana, so there's no history of kind of going to theatres, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so so television, like you were saying before, television was what I grew up on, you know, that was the thing that, say, television and books were the things that showed me stories, you know, and 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 theatre wasn't accessible. Um, definitely not to people who looked and sounded like what's well, working-class Brown. Um, and But the older I get, the more confident you get, and then the more the theatre has changed in actually wanting to be more to its local communities. So being in Liverpool, um, being in Liverpool 8, Toxteth, um, my local theatres are the Liverpool Everyman and Playhouse, um, and the Unity Theatre, Um and the Royal Court Theatre in Liverpool is doing some really interesting things around with Black writers as well. So yeah, there's a few few places that I can go to. So,
0: what was the first play then that you saw that really kind of opened your eyes to the world of theatre and and made you think, yeah, this this could be something for me?
1: Um, I. My very, very first theatre was really late. It was my 30s. I mean, I'm in my 50s now. So, which is probably, you know, which is why I'm kind of really interested in talking about older women's creativity as well. So, um, and also I need to go to the hairdressers and get my route done.
0: (laughs) Seriously, I read an article the other day saying that like silver hair for women is in. So maybe it looks beautiful.
1: Yeah. If you can afford Helen Mirren Grey, then that would be great. Um, so I think I went to my first theatre, like proper proper theatre, like when I thought that I could do it or like um, it was possible, um, was when I was 30-something. And I can't remember the first one because it was it was just the experience of going to the theatre with somebody else and being quite um, nervous about that. But I remember the first theatre that I had a reaction to, and it was Yellow Man, um, by the oh, wow. Orlander Smith, and it yeah. was at the Everyman Theatre, um, and I remember because it was just a two-hander, and I remember being affected by it, mm-hmm. and that it talks about, you know, a complex issue like colorism, and, and it was just it was heartbreaking, you know, to kind of to. To, and that, and I felt all of those things, and that was the first time where I thought, "Oh gosh!" And I found myself on my feet without without thinking about it, you know. At the end, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing when you see plays like that, you know. And that play, as you say, is just a two hander, and yet, yeah, yeah, it can be so affecting with such a small cast. You know,
1: you don't need a lot of people to make a play, do you? No, no, and that's what's lovely about it as well, and that's why I think in terms of affordability. You know, I would say to any kind of emerging, beginning writers, that theatre's possibly the the way to go because you can, you know, you can actually do it with, you know, just one person standing, I think Peter Brook said, in, you know, in an empty space and you've got a piece of theatre. Um, so, yeah. And so when did you actually start writing? Uh, when I took it seriously, probably, gosh, and again, really quite late as well. Um, I w- I remember I was sitting um, with a friend of mine and I was, like, moaning. I was, like, moaning about, like, a really bad film or something. And I moaned, do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like an <laughs> Olympic like, gold medal. And I was like, oh, my gosh, why is not you know? <laughs> this is so, beep, um, blah, blah, blah. And then he just turned around to me and he went, oh, my God, Sophia, if you think you can do better, why don't you? And then I was like, well, why? Why don't I? Mm. It never occurred to me because I don't have a degree. I didn't didn't occur to me that you could go and study writing yeah. like like a thing. Do you know what I mean? It's not exactly, and especially with you know the Rishi Sunak's lovely announcements recently. I say that sarcastically. Right. That as a working yeah. class person, you don't think the arts are something that you can just go and do, you know. Yeah. And um, so I went to night school um, and. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I went to night school and I did um uh, script writing. And then in Manchester Uni they did a postgraduate diploma in writing for performance. And I and they said you had to have a degree. And so I just wrote to them and said, I don't have a degree, but can I do this course? And they wrote back to me and said, Send us some scripting. And I did, and they said and they they yeah, they got back to me and said, We're gonna offer you a place, even if you haven't got a degree. amazing what a story that is so inspiring that was the that was uh, the lovely Arden school Arden theatre school so I'm going to give them a little shout out because I know they still exist
0: that's incredible and it really it really
1: god I guess the lesson to take from that is if you don't ask you don't get honestly that's what I would take to anybody who's got the knowledge and the know-how that you need and go and ask them to share it with you and if you always think that people want to help you more than they don't, if you go in there with, like, a really kind of... Not like I'm not a magical thinker in that way, but I think if you expect sometimes the best from people, sometimes they come through for you. And also they have to have a really good reason why they're going to say no.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the thing that you've got on your side... Um, I mean, you, you hear the expression late bloomer kind of bandaged yeah. out, yeah. don't you? But I think the thing that you've got on your side... Um, when you are a bit older and you're going into yeah. something, particularly something artistic, is you've got years of experience and story yeah. under your belt. And that's, yeah. you know, I think that's that's worth so much more than a degree. Do you know what I mean? Yes.
1: Yeah. And you've got confidence, you know, you've got confidence because what happens is when you're older, you know that it will be okay. And when you're younger, you don't know that. And that's just a life thing. You can't fast track that knowledge, you know. but. Um. You know, so I I kind of have a thing where it's like if someone says no, then I'm still where I'm at. But if they say yes, it moves me on. So it's either you either stand still a little bit, which is okay, or they move you on. There's no going backwards. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
0: know, so you've kind nothing of got to nothing, lose attitude. nothing to lose. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> that's amazing yeah. so what's it been like then these past however many years that you've been taking it seriously how have you found kind of navigating the world of, of theatre as an older woman as a yeah. woman older, as a woman yeah. from a working class background as a yeah. northern woman yeah
1: it's it been like um it's been really exciting it's always and I'm sure you you find this as well. It's that thing of you know you do still walk into rooms and you're still a minority, you know. And you know that will change. It has to, because there's interesting stories out there to be told. Um, but I I also find that um, you know I've I've got things to say. You know I've got things to say, and 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 also like realizing that. Emerging can happen at any stage of your life and kind of challenging people about that. Um, And it was really interesting. I did a one-woman show recently, and I applied to the Arts Council for for, for some funding. And I read some of the research because I'm a bit of a geek, so I was, like, reading some of their reports. And one of the reports said that older women, um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it said older women post fifty. Make up some ridiculous percentage of audiences going to theatre. Say it's like seventy percent or something, or sixty or seventy percent. But then the stage, when it did the same study of the artists creating the work, it was something like post fifty. It was like fourteen percent, which meant that women, older women, are looking at stages, yeah, (laughs) which they're not represented. Absolutely. And and I just thought, well, that's really fascinating, you know. So I. kind of you know put that foot forward but I think I found it really I think I found it really interesting I I I think people are also starting to think that emerging means can happen at every age it can it can happen at every age and I think I was listening to this podcast the other day and
0: Tracy Ellis Ross was talking about fertility
1: Love, love her
0: She's amazing. I'm obsessed with her hair products as well. Like, thank you for patting. Um, But yeah, she was talking about uh, fertility and this idea that just because you're... um, ability to bear children ends doesn't mean that you can't be fertile in other ways and that she's actually found that since going through the menopause she feels more creatively fertile than ever and I think that's such an interesting concept because people are so they have such a narrow idea of what that word fertility means and it can be you know you can be you can be rich in creativity in a way that makes you feel very fertile right
1: yeah Yeah. And I also think it's really important that younger people see older people being vital and vibrant and interesting because hopefully those young people will live live amazingly long lives. But if they don't see that your creativity can happen throughout your life, I think a lot of people then get scared. Like, have I missed my moment? You know, uh, you know, know, I've talked to somebody who genuinely said to me, you know, I'm 27 now. And I've got to, you know, I've got to really think about what do I want to be doing this, you know, when I'm 30. And, you know, there was fear in her, you know, and it was like, you know, and I talked to kind of, you know, off the ledge, kind of the creative ledge, as it were. But it's and I think it's because you don't see people creating who are who are older. You think Mm -hmm. actually it's got a shelf life and it ends and I'm not going to have anything to say about the world. But you will. And I think that's why it's important for them to see. I mean, you certainly don't see that many people starting late and that
0: is really disheartening. You don't see many people um, do a career change and it be wildly successful. And I'm always kind of looking for examples of, of yeah. that for myself because I'm definitely one of those people that that fears that kind of running out of time feeling. And in the shared workspace that I um, rent because I go there to write, they've got all these mugs that say, um, life is short and every time I pick one up I feel like consumed with panic because I know that life is short I don't need a month to remind me of that every day I'm like I feel like I'm a hamster in a wheel you know running against. and a lot of that is you're right because you know those kind of people there's, there's just not enough representation of older people in the media across the board and those that are um represented a kind of your Helen Mirrens and you know people who started young and got their success then and they're kind of almost like there's this narrative of they're allowed to continue to be famous and successful because of all the work they did way back then and it just yeah. shouldn't be like that because yeah you know, your age doesn't dictate your talent at all and I feel like we really fetishize youth in this you know in this society that we live in, in such a yeah. strange way, just because somebody did something by a certain milestone doesn't mean that what they've achieved is worth any more than if
1: you move it to another part of your life and achieve it in that part of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, I mean, my whole life I've been involved in the arts, so I don't want to give somebody the impression that I just rocked up. So, mm. you know, and went, Oh, you know, I was doing a, you know, something random beforehand. So you know, I, I, I was I've been involved in the arts as a freelancer all of my life. It's only recently I always say that I got a proper job, um, yeah. you know, which is <laughs> basically you know with a with a reliable salary that comes in every week. But you know, I've been a freelancer making my own work for over thirty five years. And oh, wow. um, okay. I know. Oh, so, what um, thing were you doing before I was writing? Then part of a company called Sense of Sound with some friends, and we would anything and everything to do with voice, so it was singing and choirs and that sort of thing. Wow, that's... Um, okay. Yeah, and then we got an opportunity through that to... We got commissioned by Liverpool um, International Music Festival. And one of the things we decided to do was we, we decided to put on a kind of... A, a narrative with songs, with, with acapella, because acapella was our art form. And then that... So I wrote the narrative for that in 2014, and that was directed by Matthew Zia, which was just... Yeah, which was amazing. Friend um, and
0: podcast fave. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I always and I think now he's won a BAFTA, hasn't he, or an Olivier. So Olivia. now I can say I've had a, an, a a play of mine directed by Olivia winning, which I've told him about, but I hate. Yes, you <laughs> no,
0: own it. I love it. That is great. <laughs> yeah, I think that's brilliant, and I think it's yeah, very clear that you always had that interest in the arts, but to kind of go from you know, essentially a very sort of happy, joyful, comfortable situation, working yeah. within voice and being successful within that, and then going, actually, I'm going to write, is yeah. incredibly brave, do you know what I mean? And and I think I I want to see so much more of that from just older people being allowed to be put in those situations where they get those opportunities. I, I went to drama school uh, five years ago and uh-huh. thought... Yeah, I thought that by far I'd be the oldest person on my course, but actually I really wasn't and There was a guy on my course who was 56. There was another guy on my course who was 60 and he was the oldest in my course. And actually he did Phaedra at the National last year. So it's all worked out for him and he came from a teaching background. So you just never know. And I think the lesson for our listeners is definitely that it's never too late to to start. It's never too late to, to change your career and begin again. And it's never too late to kind of take all of those stripes that you've earned in other artistic forms and see how you can kind of laterally expand your career and your skill set, right?
1: Yeah, we I mean we need we need storytellers from you know all strata of society really. Um, we do. I mean, I think theaters has had one voice telling the story for a very long time. Um, and so I think it's about time that other stories and other storytellers were hurt. Um and you know, I went to see um Untitled Yeah, Untitled
0: you know, Saigon play at the Royal Exchange, which I think is gonna be heading to London soon. And yeah. I cannot stress enough to all of our listeners what a vital and brilliant and hilarious and poignant play that is. Like it's so important to go and see it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And and it was just so refreshing, right? Because What it was, was for me, it was like, well, look what Southeast Asian voices can can say. And it's just so refreshing because that's, it was just a new voice and it was a new person. It was a new demographic that you don't see on the stage that much. And when you do, it's like just a refreshing change, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I really loved it. It's brilliant.
0: And just the idea of kind of taking all of these stereotypes about, your culture and kind of tearing them up and, yeah, presenting them in a different form so that you're reclaiming, you know, you're taking ownership over your own identity,
1: I think is such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, it, I think people of colour have the right to tell whatever story they want. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really interesting when they tell their own culturally specific stories as well. Yeah. it's a difference because other people have been telling them for many many years and it's quite nice when you go I know why that's different it's because it's got a different authenticity to it different flavor to it yeah absolutely um, and so do you feel like your identity
0: whether your cultural identity or your scouse identity yeah. or your identity as a woman do you think it really permeates your work
1: <laughs> yeah I mean uh yeah, it's like I always give my characters names that are probably Indian in origin, um, and just because because I think then the casting person can just can think about that. And yes. my characters might not even talk about their culture. It's just that I want to see brown people on the stage. <laughs> so. <I would> say- <laughs> Things. So I like, give them names. Like, if they go, oh, actually, we can't have, you know, somebody who looks like this with that name, then that, you know, it might be something that people might think about. Yeah, um,
0: as, a writer and... shows, it's, as a writer, then you've got that character in the back of your head and you've kind of got like a visual of what they might look like and how they might move through the world. And yeah. once you've given them a name at the beginning of writing your play or whatever for, for screen, then you it's going to kind of influence how that character moves rather than giving that character a white name and then going at the end of it oh maybe we can cast somebody black in that role or whatever and then that doesn't come across (laughs) as authentic and I've seen it a million times you know
1: diversity
0: inclusion representation diversity whatever you know whatever you want to call it it needs to start at stage one doesn't
1: it yeah yeah and I think um You know, because I I do, I want to see more brown people on stages and I don't necessarily think that we always have to talk about the skin that we're in. It's because, you know, me and my friends certainly don't wake up in the morning and think about that. We talk about, you know, how many sugars do you want in your coffee, you know, and just chew the fat and just live a life. So, but if it's brown people just living a life on stage, that's what I want to do. So this is, you know, the the play that I'm writing with Box of Tricks is a very domesticated um, scenario, but it's a world that's inhabited um by by uh Asian by Indian women, you know. Um, but their Indianness is who they are, but it's not the play's not about them being Indian, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just uh, about them having a life, frankly. Um and uh yeah and again they're they're older women as well. I think that's really important. You know, writing parts for older women really interests me, um as you can as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um because I don't want to uh, because it's something that i, I authentically know so we'll also it cuts down the research time <laughs> um, <laughs> that always helps. Um, yeah 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 and yeah i'm 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 background uh you can't i think every writer out there will understand this but you can't you cannot not insert yourself in the place that you write you're play. always in there you know or your mum's in there or your sister's in there or you know I'm like oh I wonder why that oh I know why it is it's because it's obviously me or something <laughs> 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 or a friend or so
0: what is what has your experience been like of working with Boxer Tricks on this play so far and
1: being a play boxer oh it, it's amazing I mean it's I've got uh the lovely Patrick Hughes, who's been allocated to me as my mentor. Um, I think it's it's got the right amount of deadlines, a hard deadlines with soft deadlines. It's got the right amount of challenge with the right amount of flexibility, but it's not so flexible that you can just be, you know, kind of freewheeling around. Um, and what a great opportunity. You know, it's only four writers and um which is a lovely amount, um, of people. Uh, yeah. yeah, So it feels very, very special to, to be given, to have an organization give you permission to write a play. Cause I think as all of us out there who are trying to earn a living and try to live an artistic life, sometimes giving yourself permission to just go, I'm going to write for a couple of hours, Mm. you know, and, and, putting that time aside and making sure that you treat that time with um with the respect that it's due um, yeah cuz I mean, you're worth it basically you know yeah
0: and just just feeling like that feeling that you shouldn't be doing something else while you're writing. Like, this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm being paid for it. There's a deadline in place. There are people waiting for me to deliver. So this is what I should be doing. And that's something really liberating and having that, isn't there? Because otherwise you'd be sat there writing, feeling like it's a little bit naughty and maybe I should be focused on something else. And then you can't really give it the attention it deserves.
1: Or you'll genuinely do something else. I mean, writers like a lot of creatives are great at procrastinating. You know, you'll go, you know what? I'm going to, it's really essential that I watch the last episode of Beef on Netflix. You know, (laughs) it is really essential
0: that you watch the last episode of Beef on Netflix because it is one of the best TV shows I've seen all year.
1: So So good, isn't it? It's telling you what, the Southeast Asians have got it going on at the moment. (laughs) And, um, in storytelling, it's just amazing. And um and I think what it does is it it, it it makes you makes you take some time out to to factor in a writer's life. I also think it gives you kudos, you know, it, it does the art, the fact that I can say to people, I'm in development with Boxer Tricks Theatre Company, it says something, you know, it says something about your ability as a writer, it says something to other people. So that is always a good thing as well. Um Thank you yeah people kind of go oh right that's interesting you know what you're doing you like <laughs> as opposed to I'm just sitting in my room writing you
0: yeah know. it's you, you must be good you must be good <laughs> if you're an yeah 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 you are good and I I, can't, I cannot wait to read your play I'm really excited about it oh thank you Carla. it's been a pleasure to speak to you today Safina
1: thank you so much for taking the time oh thank you honey um and yes uh to all of the lovely creators out there, if you've got stories to tell, just go find people who will help you tell them. Thank you so much. And also, much. if there's anybody out there, you know, on a practical level, if there's anybody out there who's an older creative, an older playwright who just wants to chew the fat with somebody post 50, they can always get in touch with Boxer Chicks or get in touch with me and say, can I just talk to you? And I'm happy to do that as well with people. Oh,
0: I love that. That was such a fun conversation. It really is never too late to follow your dreams, is it? Next up we've got Adam James. Adam is a queer writer and script editor from the West Midlands now based in Manchester. He's currently on the full screenwriting course with Channel 4 and was part of the Soho Theatre Writers Lab in 2019-2020. In TV development he currently works with Wall to Wall North and was previously at Sister Pictures Adam is definitely an ideas person, and we talk about some of his latest scripts in this conversation. I really had a laugh talking to him, and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I started, of course, by asking him this podcast's biggest question, why theatre?
2: I mean, it's contrary to all of the conversations that are happening in theatre at the moment, but I definitely think there's just an immediacy that always really attracts me to it, Um And I find it, although I probably find it overall a lot more taxing (laughs) than TV writing. Um, TV writing for me is so structured and I kind of come at it from that point. And it very much, the writing of it, the physical scripting is one of the last things I definitely ever do because I'm so litigious in how I structure and how I think about things But with playwriting, I've never really done that. It's kind of, I love to have a play and know where my characters are and who they are. But then largely I kind of just go at the page. Um, And so there's a freedom to it. And it's a lot more playful when I don't scare myself out of doing it. I feel like, as Hannah always says, it's very much not about perfectionism and just get it on the page. So yeah, I definitely think that's one of the main reasons why I always come back to it. And it's also how I started writing. Like It makes writing so accessible in a sense where you write something, someone speaks it, and it's done. Yeah. And you can find all of these scratch nights and all of that stuff. And it, with scripts, every you know what it's like. Everyone just reads them, but it could take them five months or a year to read them but with plays it's sometimes you just send it in and you know that it's going to be performed the next month if you get to it and so that's a very long rambling answer of why now hopefully it's a good one. (laughs) It's
0: a great one. I think what intrigued me the most about that answer was something that you said right at the beginning which was that playwriting can be more taxing than writing for TV. Um, And I would love for you to expand on that idea. What exactly do you mean by that? Why do you find playwriting more taxing?
2: I mean, I think it's a personal thing rather than like universal feeling. I just find it, I feel like it takes me a lot longer to crack a play. And I put a lot more pressure on myself with a play because it's right there and then. That, and it's so in the moment and you have those people in that one space and you are limited. And I think because my primary mode of writing is screenwriting with a lot of playwriting instincts, I don't think I have them in the way that I do with the TV because obviously one of the constant things is why is it a TV show? Why is it a TV script? whilst Basically, a play is very freeing and freedom scares me. I like structure. <laughs> I and obviously plays are structured and everyone has a different way of doing it, but I definitely feel like sometimes the cre- creativity needed for a play is unlocked by letting go, and I'm very bad at letting go personally.
0: I wanted to ask you because I also find Writing plays more taxing than writing for TV. Oh, delicious, good. Um, and I wondered whether our reasons were similar, um, but also I don't know whether I'd fully articulated my reasons even in my own mind. So it was interesting to hear you articulate your reasons, and I do think there are there's definitely some crossover um, between my reasons and your reasons. I think that yeah, there's always that thing of like in this in the same way as I suppose you ask yourself why why is this a tv show I'm always forced to ask myself why is this a theater show Mm. um and then there's always that push to make it more theatrical um you know make it a story that couldn't be told on screen um and sometimes you know every now and again you might get an idea that just drops into your head of like wow there really is no way that this could be a thing for tv it Mm. has to be theater um But for me, that's actually quite rare. And I think, yeah, as you say, there's kind of, um, there's a different type of pressure, isn't there, with writing a play that's kind of hard to put your finger
2: on. 110%. And as you said, like, I don't think I've ever articulated it. I've all, I, up until this experience, and I think it's because of this specific project, and trying to challenge myself. I always thought playwriting, I loved the freedom of it. And I think once I crack it, I'll be in that mindset. Yeah, but I find it a lot harder to crack.
0: I think maybe there's also that added pressure of um, a play sort of needs to be a bit more high concept than a TV job. Mm. Or even a film, you know, like a film like Closer, for example, which, you know, I think was on the stage originally, wasn't it? was a play. It's originally a play,
2: I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, but you look at that and I'm like, would that have been made into a play now? Like, Mm -hmm. could it have been a play now when you're looking at just a relationship drama between four people? Could a show like Friends, for example, ever have been put on the stage to begin with when it's just, here's an insight into the lives of these people? It sort of feels like there has to be something really unique and spectacular conceptually for a play to get staged, at least these days, you know?
2: And like with stage, I've I've never had a play put on outside of like in a serious production. I've done a lot of scratch nights. I've had a lot of that stuff. So this is all a brand new process for me anyway. So I would never be able to come at it from a perspective of what, how it would get made. But it is funny because I'm working with a lot of, a a few theater writers at the moment and helping them get into television we're at the stage of conceptualising their ideas and so many ideas are so obviously a play and I'm like really jealous of it because they've framed it in such a perfect way even though obviously I'm trying to get them out of playwriting mindset but like <laughs> that's a perfect play structure that's gorgeous. And <laughs> but the funny
0: thing is you meet so many playwrights particularly emerging playwrights who think that they have to become a successful playwright before they, be- they can become a TV writer oh. because there's this false narrative that TV writing or getting into TV is harder than getting into theatre and actually mm. I found it the opposite way around. and, okay. you know, even some yeah. of the classic plays that I've read or even seen, I'm like, you know, Harold Pinter's Betrayal is one of the best plays I think I've ever read but would it get put on stage now if he'd written it now? I don't know if it would, you know. I think people would read that and go, this is a film, Mm. you know? Yeah,
2: totally. Yeah, it is really interesting, for sure. And it's interesting when I read for TV and when I'm trying to find writers to work with, like still to this day, though, when I'm being introduced to a writer, if they've written a really good play, I'd far rather read the play than a spec script that they've tried to write on their own, and it's mm. the first one. Because I think if a play is such, it's just so them and it's so its own thing. And I think it just that a play can show a voice in a, in its kind of most naked and truest form. And obviously TV shows can do that. We've seen a lot of those TV shows, but I especially think for newer writers when all it is is they're just trying to get the story across and obviously they can do it in whatever they, way that they want. Whilst with TV, there's so many things that we're looking at, like we've got our checkbox. Um, because we can always teach TV structure, but we yes. can't teach, like, dy- dy- dynamism. <laughs> <laughs> We can't, well, we just can't teach them to just be fully themselves on the page and put it all on the page. And I feel like, yeah, I see that a lot more in plays than I do in TV scripts.
0: Mm. Do you you feel like you're at the point in your writing career Mm. where you feel like you can truly put all of yourself on the stage? Have you reached that point where you feel like you have found your authentic voice?
2: I don't know. The whole point with the play box play that I'm writing at the moment and the reason I'm struggling with it so much um, is that I'm trying to do something that I don't think I could write on my own. Um, And I'm purposely forcing me out of the usual things that I do. I'm very naturalistic. My first play that I wrote that got me onto the scheme that I wrote with Soho Theatre's Writers Lab is very much two men who are not suited to each other on a succession of dates a week later, choosing whether or not to love each other. And it's just very naturalistic and it's over a year. Whilst this is very much me pushing myself to be theatrical, to do something that isn't grounded in realism and to push the limits on what that is, whilst also kind of trying to sneak a message in, whilst not trying to write an issues-based play and also <laughs> writing outside of my age range. And so all of those things. So no, I don't think I am yet. I think my approach to writing is really sorted. I'm very much about the dialogue. I'm very much about the characters. And I want it to be warm, but I want it and funny, but it's not slapstick. It's always got a dramatic spine. But no, I'm trying to kind of unshackle myself at this point And I've been really lucky enough this year to get onto schemes for both TV writing and stage writing and both of those projects I pushed myself to do something different and Mm -hmm. the TV one really paid off and now we need to make this one paid off um, (laughs) we're trying.
0: (laughs) So what's the TV scheme you're on?
2: So I've just finished up on the Channel 4 screenwriting course for the year. And Um, how did you find that? I loved it. I really loved it. It was a lot. This is the thing I feel like everyone will understand this who is trying their hand at writing and wanting to pursue writing. We've got to do it alongside a full-time job most of the time. Um, And so trying to balance it is a lot. But again, it was one of those experiences where I often write a lot of half-hour comedy dramas where they're funny but sad and very explicit. And I wrote a 60-minute revenge thriller. (gasps) <gasps> um, yeah, I, mean,
0: I I I love the sound of your half-hour emotional but funny, um, kind of typical sort of Adam James piece. But we love a revenge thriller. We this, love a revenge.
2: This is it, and it got to a point where it, it's the same with the play in the sense that whenever I told people what it was about, they were like, "That's not very you." Oh, that's different to what you usually do. Um, but I've pulled it off. So yes. I'm confident in saying I pulled it off. I wasn't for the entire time writing it, but looking back now, you're kind of like, oh, oh shit, yeah, I can do. I different.
0: wrote a 60 minute revenge thriller last year, which is Ooh, now. We'll have to do... compare. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty fucking loopy, so I don't I don't know if there will be a much of a comparison, but it, um is the only script I can recall that I've ever written, where, Um, as I wrote, I wrote the final lines, and then I put my hands in the air, and I went, yes! And it really just gave me that feeling of, like, being on a roller coaster, and the final moment where it's, like, what the revenge kind of scheme begins, um, which is kind of at the end of the episode, it was, like, it was just such a, almost like I was getting my own revenge, you know, that kind of, like, <laughs> euphoric feeling. And I don't know whether I've had that with any other script scripts before in quite the same way.
2: Totally. Mm. Yeah, 100, it's almost like you're chasing that feeling. And I yes. think that is something I'm going to continue to do now. Because at the beginning of that course, and even three months ago, where I'd submit the first draft, I was still very much like, oh. Now it's like I do look at it, and I'm like, okay, just remind yourself what you're capable of if you put your mind to it, and you get your references check. And so, yeah. Yeah. So now I just need to do the same for Playbox.
0: I think I think think the thing about writing in general, and possibly Mm. something that we possibly both might have felt in writing this revenge thriller is that there are things that you can get out on the page that if you do in real life might have certain consequences you know mm-hmm. if you if you try and follow through on revenge in real life there's there's real world consequences that you've got to deal with mm-hmm. but when you explore it on the page you get to answer all the what ifs for yourself on the page without having mm-hmm. to deal with yeah, way.
2: I mean, you get to play out your revenge idea without um, any of the, yeah, yeah, repercussions. And it is, it is very freeing. And it was really funny because I had a meeting about it and they were like, oh, like that central conceit is just harrowing. And I was like, well, yeah, because it happened to me. And they were like, no. No, <laughs> Wow. Um, it's about a group of gay men that decide to return to their hometown and take revenge on the gay men that once terrorised them at school. And oh it's my really started when he runs into his principal bully all these years later randomly in a pub, and he cannot remember him. And so it's playing with the concept of, yeah, the idea that this man has shaped this man's life, yeah. and has made an imprint on him, and he yeah. can't even remember um and the fallout of that but yeah but I I had that experience and that was the kernel of the idea and then it like blossomed so yeah it's been delicious
0: that is that is so juicy I absolutely adore that idea I think that's so 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 fun and I just think I think I, I I think that the audience will be so here for it in terms of backing you and you know or the character that you know you're kind of represented in but also the other side of it is that fear of what if at some point in my history I did something terrible and I don't even remember it
2: 110% and also I'm not a bloody saint it's playing with that thing of do you know what I've definitely been an asshole to some people Mm -hmm. I remember a specific experience with someone in college and when I was writing it I was like Imagine if he was really deeply impacted by what I did when I yeah. just was being a knob one day because I was in a bad mood, yeah, and so, yeah, it is interesting. It is funny how all yeah. of those things can spin out of it, but
0: because we all wrap... think we I think we all think that we are fundamentally good people, and yeah. you know, I was saying well, yesterday i had a I had a conversation with my book agent about the novel that I've written, and in the novel, the main character has done a terrible thing in her past. And she lives every day with this huge sense of guilt. And there were conversations that we were having around how she was dealing with this level of guilt. And I, and I suddenly said, I, I, I've never actually done anything really, really terrible. So I don't actually know what it is to live with a huge burden of guilt. Yeah, But I think that. I think that, but what what if I'm the person who accidentally destroyed someone's life and has no idea about it? And that's what's so fascinating about your story.
2: Yeah, 110%. And I think it's the age old thing of when people say the thing you'll hear all the time as a writer, I imagine. I don't know. Well, I'm sure you have, but tell me if I'm wrong, but people say, write what you know. Yes. And I think quite a lot of the time people will take that really literally, but we mm. all feel feelings and we all and so yeah you may not have had felt guilt to the point of your and uh, your protagonist yes. but yeah. you have felt guilt and then the okay. whole point of dramatizing things is that you're able to ratchet that up and then not have to experience yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um
0: and I think it's the same with acting good. as well. I think you know um a lot of people think that that being an actor is about pretending to be someone else. Mm-hmm. But I actually think it's about revealing a part of yourself because there are multitudes within us. You know, I hate it when people say, oh, he couldn't do that. He doesn't have it in him. Well, I think the difference between a good person and a bad person is that everybody has the potential to do absolutely anything within them. And what makes us good people or bad people is choices. Mm-hmm. And being able to play out those choices on stage or on screen and reveal a part of yourself that has perhaps lain dormant for all of your life until this point Mm -hmm. is really interesting because then you get to act it out in a sort of safe space and see what that looks like and feels like. And yeah.
2: That's, that's delicious. It's all to do without sounding like a complete and utter wanker. It is all to do with empathy and how we understand each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, we have a very fun job. We do.
0: We really do. Out. So w- would you say that you generally speaking take a lot of inspiration from your actual life when you're writing things?
2: Hmm, sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I definitely went through a phase Well, I mean, yeah, the first kind of mini play I had performed was very much all taken and then span out from my slut years in uni,
1: (laughs) and
2: those stories definitely made it into the play. And yes, but I guess, I guess so. Yeah, absolutely. I guess sometimes it's a thought that I had, or it's less an experience that has happened to me. I think. Sometimes I think I always come at it, I don't think I've ever articulated or thought about my process in the sense of where my ideas come from. I definitely think sometimes it's theme first or Mm. an experience, but other times it will be, I have this character in my brain and then the next thing that comes is what can I put that character in Mm. to make the story? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we all take nuggets of our life. I think... There's definitely, I do definitely keep a little notes app on my phone of lines I hear or things that I think and how that incorporates in. I don't necessarily always know. I don't think I have a specific process for it. Mm. Um,
0: Maybe it's not mm. always a a conscious thing. Totally.
2: I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes, yeah, this is, I feel like sometimes, especially especially with plays where I can just go at my keyboard, things pop out and then you go, I've never used that turn of phrase before, surely. Uh, where did
0: that come from?
2: Yeah, yeah, you never know, you never know. But yeah, I guess that's always the starting point. I've, for me, I think whenever I watch something, I want to feel and whether that's laughing, and I don't mean to sound so general and again wanky, media wanker there, I just want to believe it and I want to feel it in that sense even if that's me cackling or suddenly just getting a bit choked up I I don't really wear I don't really care where you take me or what genre we're in but if you give me a character that I just so totally believe in and care about I'll follow them to the ends of the earth is the way I like to say
0: it yeah. um I love that. And that character doesn't always have to be likable, right?
2: Oh, hell no. Oh. I totally, I think it's something we discuss all the time. You don't necessarily have to like them, but you do have to understand them on the occasion. Yeah. I think that's the common thing. Like mm. when I read things where they are just, you can't, yeah, there's a difference between being unlikable and being irredeemable, I think. is yes. the thing I'd say.
0: Absolutely. Um, we love a complex villain. Yeah, do you love, you love a, a flawed protagonist as well? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, Catherine,
2: Catherine Kaywood. Yes. Nurse <laughs> Jackie. Yes. Why? White. Like, they're all yeah. there. They're not nice. No. They do have goodness in them. Absolutely. Um, they just don't always go about it in the right way.
0: So, you've listed there three iconic and I don't use that word lightly I think it's a word that's massively overused but they are three iconic tv characters um in terms of writers tv Mm -hmm. writers or playwrights indeed or film writers who would you say your big influences are
2: so tv obviously you've got people like Russell T Davis Mm -hmm. um I love Lucy Preble, both in and out of TV. A play that I absolutely, that sticks in my brain that I can never ever get out of my head. There are definitely two. And one of them is Scenes with Girls by Miriam Batty. I am not a girl, but good God, that it is literally just two girls who have a very COVID-dependent relationship and they're trying to figure that out as they go through.
0: Miriam's a very smart playwright, I think. And I've read her play Find a Partner as well. And I think it's, um, she's just very good at writing quite sharply observed conversations, especially. And I think mm. we see that kind of across the board with oh, her work.
2: Totally. Yeah, and yeah. seeing her newest play this year in Edinburgh, <sighs> and I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, that's one I always think of. And then, again, I'm just naming my plays now rather than specific writers, and I definitely should. I'm going di- to dive into the resources of my brain, but a new up-and-coming writer that did something recently, but i forgot the name of it, but the play that I love is Bottom by Willie Hudson. Okay. And the, one of the reasons why I love that play is it's literally tiny. It is about a guy that goes on a date, and he's always been a bottom, and he thinks he may have to top this man yeah it's all about whether as gay men is that a huge decider and whether being bottom in the bedroom makes you bottom in life and i think it was one of the first things where i went in or i thought i saw my life on stage um which i don't think is always very common yeah yeah um that's when a story is so simple but the emotional stakes of it feel so high and we uh, I
0: talked about this a bit with um when I spoke to her just the idea of a play putting being put on stage that is a simple story that is a slice of life that is written and possibly performed as well by someone who is like you cool. and just seeing a play like that and it feeling like it gives you permission to tell your story mm-hmm. and it says you know the it's okay to tell these kinds of stories. And that's a really special experience, isn't it?
2: Totally. Mm. And then on that, I've now unlocked it. So obviously most things Sharon Horgan writes.
0: (laughs) She's a genius.
2: So and Catastrophe are the two shows that come up for me quite often. Same. Um, The humanity, the sadness, they're so bitingly funny.
0: God, some of her characters are just awful Seventy percent of the time, but you still root for them because they're so identifiable. 110%. One hundred
2: and ten percent. And then it's again, I think one of the first times I ever wanted to write was when I watched Juno. Um so that's yes. Diablo Cody, who's yeah. then in, like, fabulous films like Young Adult and mm-hmm. um, Tully. And she also nearly wrote Barbie. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's been very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, very conversational, very human, not always the most action-packed, propulsive narratives, but just sitting with some wonderful characters. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, yes. again, Jack Thorne. Duncan Macmillan Mm -hmm. those were two of the earliest playwrights I read after Jim Cartwright where I realised oh plays can be about Jim Cartwright was the first time I went okay plays can be about normal people.
0: Seeing Road John Tiffany's production of Road at the Royal Court about (sighs) god must have been six or seven years ago was like a seminal cultural moment for me, and it's the best thing I've ever seen ever across the board. I didn't
2: even know he'd done a production of it, and it's the nice idea skin. of John Tiffany doing it makes my skin like all go all pimply and gives me butterflies. <laughs> so I'll have to. That's sad. That's the problem with theatre. It happens, and then it's
0: gone. <laughs> but but it but it stays with you in so many yes. ways. Actually, I auditioned for drama school. With um, a monologue from Road, and I got in on a bursary and went, and it was the greatest experience ever. Mm-hmm. And I think it was shortly after I went to see Road at the theatre, and I'd only ever read it before, I'd never seen it before. And so I can legit say that that play changed my mm-hmm. life. So, yeah, I think that. so glad.
2: Yeah, oh, that's so
0: gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Those Jim Cartwright girls.
0: Right? <laughs> super fans. Hi, Jim, if you're listening. We love you. <laughs> um, so your play, the play that you are writing for Playbox, mm. give us broad brushstrokes. Obviously, we're very early on in the process. What is the play about?
2: It is about four teenage boys who find themselves serendipitously put into a black box drama room space and are tasked with with making a play together. Um, The play can be about anything. Um, They don't necessarily know why they're making the play, Um, but all they know is they have to do it together. And steadily, as they start to communicate and play and figure things out about each other, they do start to question about why they're actually in that space to start with, and and the the mystery behind that. Um,
0: we love a meta play.
2: It was very much just born out of, drama clubs saved my life when I was little. They were just, I was that little campy kid that had too much energy in the West Midlands and I was plonked in a drama class on a Saturday morning and it was just the most gorgeous experience. And then later throughout high school, every Wednesday I'd have a drama club at the local theater and it gathered together different kids of all different ages, who just we wouldn't even enter the orbit of each other. And yeah. I think, uh, but we we found ways to connect and cope and make things. And so, although those things are still so long ago, and I'm constantly talking myself out of it and going, "But I haven't been in those spaces yeah. for years. I don't know." I'm trying to hold on to that feeling. Um,
1: yeah. So yeah
2: so very broad
1: um I suppose you
0: might not have been in those spaces for years but you know what community is you know what it looks like mm. you know what happens when people are thrown together to work on something because you work in you know you work you work in an office-based environment mm. where you're forced to come up with ideas and be creative together all the time so you've never quite lost touch with that have you
2: well, there you go. I mean, you sound like Hannah and you sound like Billy. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: what? almost as if you work together.
2: <laughs> um, me going, I'm like, I don't think I don't think this is my story to write guys. I don't know these four perspectives. And they're like, Yeah, but you know the feeling and I'm like, Oh
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is a conversation I've, I've had with Mohammed as well, um, one of the other play boxers. In fact, during his conversation for um, the podcast, we talked about who has the right to write certain plays yeah. and kind of coming to grips with the idea that, okay, just because there's this one perspective doesn't mean it has to be the only perspective. And what you bring to it is yourself and your unique perspective on that thing. And that's so valid and so important
2: yeah, thank you. I thank you. I'm definitely coming out of a I've definitely let my inner saboteur take over with the play for sure and stop mm-hmm. me from doing it. But having read a couple of plays this past week, I went, "Oh, I do know how to do this I don't know how to do it <laughs> Like you just convince yourself playwriting is this otherworldly thing where it, as soon as you put it on the page, it exists and it has to be perfect. Um, and again, I can just hear Harold Tind- Hannah Tirolpinder in my head giving me a slap. Um, which I did explicitly tell her she may have to do, so she's yeah, doing amazingly, but yeah. But, no, but
0: are you finding the process of, of, of play box in terms of the fact that it's more about the process and not about the end result a little bit liberating?
2: Yeah, I think. If I've only just started to realise that's what it is. Oh. Um, definitely think, especially because I've been so busy for the first half of this year and haven't really been able to come up to the play, definitely think I went, I've got to write a play and it yeah. needs to be ready to show people. And like, ah, and then I'm starting, and because I don't know the play process, I don't, mm. I've not ever been in a rehearsal room or a workshop with my script and with actors, I didn't know that that's where it all changes. That's yes. where the play is made. And so it's- the idea that now I just need to write something so that they can see it. So the I think the joy of theater, and I know it's not always theater, and to be honest, it's very much the joy of Box of tricks and how they work. Um, but the pastoral the pastoral level of care. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, the fact that I definitely am far harsher to myself than they ever are um, <laughs> is lovely. And they constantly, like, I definitely was like, I've missed this deadline. And they were like, yeah, but you set that deadline. And I was like, yeah, but I missed <laughs> it. And so I'm a failure. And they're like, okay,
0: stop. But <laughs> well, yeah. also you've got to bear in mind that a lot of this energy comes from, working in television and Mm. knowing that deadlines are there for a reason in television because there are tight turnarounds and you know things are going into production on certain dates and time is money and blah 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 blah, and there's not that same energy in the world of theatre and that can be a positive and a negative in the sense that it takes forever to get Mm. something from conception to the stage but at the same time the process happens how it needs to happen in the time that it needs to happen. And that's, yeah, there's a freedom in that.
2: This has been a therapy session and now this <laughs> weekend, I'm actually going to go home and start writing properly the play. <laughs> 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 so can I love feed that. It back. You can feed it back. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's what the play is about. And that's what I'm attempting to do. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all a learning process. I kind of have Mm -hmm. to remind myself I, the whole point of this is not that I am experienced. It's that I've got something, now I need to make something out of it. I think that's Mm -hmm. always worth reminding yourself. And it's also been such a humbling experience because as a script editor you turn around and you're the cheerleader for other writers and convincing then that they can write it and facilitating the best story that they have inside them and now I need to be doing that for myself and naturally I don't do it
0: (laughs) wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if we could all all do for ourselves what what we do for the people without shooting smoke
2: up my own bum I remember once I was like my friend was consoling me after some kind of particular breakup or big letdown and she gave me a piece of advice and I genuinely went, God, that's such a great piece of advice. And she went, yeah, you gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh um, so yeah, <laughs> so we do need to give us, our, cut some sal- ourselves some of the slack. But Absolutely. Hey, there we go. Yeah.
0: Adam James, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you so
2: much for facilitating it. I could talk to you forever and you make it very easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very nice to hear. Thank you. Um, And yeah, can't wait to see how your play develops.
2: Me too. (laughs) (laughs) My cackle is just going to destroy your sound levels. Um...
0: Or or bring joy to my sound levels. There you go. So, there's your first two chats with this year's Playbox cohort. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Safina and Adam as much as I did. In the meantime, you can find out more about Box of Tricks via social media at B-O-T-T-C on Twitter and at Box of Tricks Theatre on Instagram. You can find me, Carla M. Sweet, that's Carla with a K, on both platforms Safina is on Twitter at Safina Aziz and Adam at ADJJames057. Next time, we'll be chatting to our other playboxes, Mohammed and Lakhani. I'll see you then.